Okay. All right. It's recording. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so welcome. For your information, this meeting is being recorded. Thank you for joining us uh, for the, I think this is the seventh Latinx uh, COVID-19 community response call, which is happening every Thursday at 12 p.m. This is a collaborative effort between the Commission on Hispanic Affairs and Nina Martinez um, and her board from the Latino Civic Alliance. The goal is to bring information from state agencies, learn how communities are doing and facilitate coordination between us. We will hold these meetings until needed. Um, we prepare weekly meeting notes and if you are new and want to be added to the weekly meeting reminders, please send an email to hispanic at cha.wa.gov or info at latinocivicalliance.org. We understand that many of you and your organizations are doing excellent work to address a COVID-19 response and we just want to provide a space to share information. We started this effort a few weeks ago and although it's not perfect, we've figured out a process to be able to work together. Um, our volunteer subcommittee of leaders creates the agenda for the, um, for the weekly meeting. Our agenda today is as follows. We're gonna hear a housing update from LULAC. We're gonna hear about mental health. That's gonna be the bulk of our meeting. Uh, Consejo Simar and um, Quincy, is it Community Health that is, is going Moses, to be presenting? It's Moses Lake Community Health, but Mary Jo is from Quincy, sure. Um, and we're going to hear uh, about consulate services, an update from Wizen, and then regional report outs. To help with process, with the meeting uh, process, we ask you that you keep your lines on mute unless you would like to speak. And if that's the case, then you can unmute yourself either by clicking on your, your screen to unmute um, or via the participants bar. Um, you can also send in chat questions. Finally, we are not going to do introductions because of the high volume of callers. We thank you for your continued consistent commitment to get information to our community. If members of the media are present, uh, can you introduce yourself? And I see text, uh, sorry, Lex, uh, Talamo here um, in the group chat introducing herself to everybody. Anybody else from media joining us? Okay, so without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and have uh, Diana Perez from- Oh no, no, we're gonna, no, Maria, we're gonna start with mental health first. I have sent oh. the, we'll okay. start with mental health and then Maria because Mario has to leave. Got it, okay. So we'll start with um, Consejo in our mental health section. One second. Oh, there okay, we go. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, hi, uh, this is Mario Paredes from Consejo Counseling. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Consejo Counseling, Consejo Counseling has been providing Outpatient Behavioral Health Services uh, for 42 years in the Pacific Northwest. We have uh, um, offices uh, throughout King County, uh, Pierce County, and also Tucson and Mason County. We, um, on average, uh, provide all a range of services from outpatient, psychiatric care, medication management, substance use disorder for youth and adults. Uh, we also work with kids who are involved uh, in gangs, or high-risk behaviors. We do complementary medicine in partnership with Pasteur University. And um, we do uh, a large program is based on our children's and youth and family services. We also have the largest uh, domestic violence and sexual assault program for 
survivors, and we own three transitional housing programs where uh, women and children who have been victims of domestic violence can live. Um, COVID has been a challenge for everyone, and the Consejo uh, was very rapid to respond uh, to implement telehealth programs. So we have a very large uh, telehealth program that include uh, telephonic work, uh, video conference work, as well as uh, secure texting. Uh, we're using uh, different platforms depending on the number of activities we're able to do large group, small groups uh, for any client who wants to do telehealth work. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we wanted to make sure that the community, that we were responding to the community needs. So we have established different practices for each uh, region. Uh, in Mason County, which is a very rural area, we have actually implemented uh, a warm line. And we're working in partnership with uh, Mason County Public Health. And we have developed this warm line with anyone from the community can call and ask questions. They don't have to become a client of Consejo. They don't have to... Uh, receive services with us. We just want to hear from them, and we can connect them to any. We can connect them, them to any services available in the community. So the phone number for the warm line is uh, 360-763-5610. So anyone who live in the Tucson Mason region can call this number. We will talk to them, and we will provide them information or services if they need the services. Um, Consejo has also uh, utilized a lot of the uh, media to be able to be in communication with the community. And we have partnered with uh, three radio stations, uh, Radio Luz, uh, which is a Christian radio station, and we're providing uh, radio programs to Radio Luz, uh, talking to the community in Spanish and letting them know what their services are available. We have also partnered with uh, El Rey 360, and uh, we have also partnered with our online radio station, uh, trying to reach out to, to the community. So we're doing these weekly programs, uh, letting people know what services are available, what new resources have become available in the community. We are also using uh, Facebook, as a way to communicate with our community. So Consejos, through the Consejos web, uh, Facebook webs, uh, page we disseminate weekly information about COVID-19, as well as services available in the community. And we're also utilizing uh, our website uh, to disseminate information. And beginning yesterday, uh, we began a, problem, a program with uh, Univision Seattle, and uh, we had a program uh, last night. We're going to have another program this week and a few programs in the next few weeks where we're going to be talking to the community about um, services available, how to engage services, and letting them know that our doors are open. Uh, Consejo has not closed the doors of the facilities. So for clients who don't have access uh, to technology, they can come to our Columbia City office in Seattle, or they can go to our Tacoma office, or they can go to our Graham office, Belfair or Shelton office, and the offices are open. Uh, we have uh, a staff there that they can uh, see them there, and they can also teach them how to use telehealth. Uh, so we're trying to do it, everything within uh, safe distance, uh, but making sure that we're access, uh, extremely available to the clients that we serve. So that's, that's, that's an overview of what Consejo is doing. 
And uh, let me give you let me give you just for for everybody we the mo the four main numbers. If if you're in the Seattle and King County area, the the number that people need to call is the 206-461-4880. If they are in the Olympia, um, Belfair, Shelton area, uh, the number will be 360-763-5610. If they are in the Graham area, which is East Perth County, it will be 253-285-4750. And if they are in the Tacoma area, uh, it will be 253-414-7461. Uh, one of the challenges that we have seen is we have seen an increase of uh, drug and alcohol use, and we have seen an increase of domestic violence cases. So our domestic violence advocates are available to assist uh, women and children with protection order, no contact order, uh, U visas. So um, just have anybody in the community contact us. If we're, if we're not the resource, we will connect them with the appropriate resource available to them. Excellent. You, Maria. Maria? Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm mute. Does anybody have any questions? Uh, maybe we go to next. Um, Can I ask a question? Do they have anybody in uh, Lewis County? No, we do not have anyone in, in Lewis County. We just focus on King, in the Turso Mason area. The other thing that is important for people to know is that all of the consejo services, without an exception, are free. And, uh, and it's also important for people to know that uh, it doesn't matter your immigration status, we will still gonna provide services to you. I have a question for Mario. Uh, Mario is Carlos Jimenez from Redmond Centro Cultural Mexicano. What happened to your office at the resource centers in Redmond? We've been sending people out there, they're coming back and saying there is no service and it's closed. The, 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 the resource center uh, in, in, in Redmond, they, mm-hmm. It's not a it's not a consejo building. It's a it belongs to, to the to the city of Redmond. They are closed. So because they are closed, uh, we're only able to do telehealth. So if you give any of this number to any of the individuals in the area, we will be happy to provide them with uh, services via telehealth or via telephone. Well, just remember uh, we have a physical place uh, in the city of Redmond, downtown Redmond. So uh, if he's in any help, just let us know because the community from this area, uh, we're just sending them to Catholic Community Services to Hope Link, but your own clients from who are coming back. Uh, so uh, I'll call you later on to see what we can do. All right. Yeah, thank, thank you, you Carlos. Uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the next uh, uh, presentation, and this is gonna be uh, Rosie Martinez with Sarah. We had one person with their hand raised, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, could we connect you offline? All right. Hi, everyone. Buenas tardes a todos. Um, I am here representing CMAR. I'm one of the program managers at the uh, Behavioral Health uh, Center in in the city of Federal Way. Um, One of the important things for you guys to know is that CMAR has over 45 clinics across the state of Washington, all um, on the corridor of I-5 from from Marysville all the way down to Vancouver. We're, we're serving hundreds of patients, hundreds of clients um, every week. And we have a lot of our clients are Latinx community members. 
Um, so thank you for the opportunity of being able to represent here on this call, Nina. Um, I want to make sure everyone knows that we continue to provide all mental health, behavioral health, SUD as well, substance use disorder services at all our clinics. All our clinics are open. Um, we have a list of the 45 clinics with uh, their addresses, contact information um, that Nina will be providing at the beginning or at the end of this, uh, this call. Um, and we are providing services like mental health assessments. We're providing mental health counseling, psychiatric assessments, psychiatric medication management for our clients who choose to use medication um, to assist with their mental health needs or SUD needs. Um, we're providing as well, which is a very essential part of our, um, our structure and our programs at CMAR is case management as well with our, with our clinicians and also with our, with our case managers that are in each site. At Federal Way, like, like all the other sites, we have a support team that involves case manager, financial specialists who are helping our clients, um, as well as um, clinicians who are in the um, behavioral health sites and also who are embedded in our medical facilities for those clients who come in with, uh, to their medical appointments are, and are in need of mental health resources, mental health counseling um, and case management as well. So that's important for everyone to know um, about our mental health, um, mental health SUD behavioral health services at CMAR. Um, we have uh, we, have, we are very fortunate to be using telehealth, um, implementing telehealth. Our leaders um, at CMAR and our lead, Claudia D'Alegre, uh, with all our directors, were very proactive in implementing in March our, our new systems to provide mental health services, uh, behavioral health services at CMAR. We're using telehealth, which um, includes video, the platform of video sessions and telephone sessions. So it's important to, for our community to know that we can reach out and we can provide mental health, behavior health, case management, SUD services through the video platform, but also through tele, um, telephone. Um, we're seeing a trend of maybe 70, 30, a lot of, a large percentage of our, tele, of our Latinx community is receptive to video platform, but then we also have a good percentage that is preferring the telephone. And a lot of the times it's our Latinx community who are older adults or some adults who um, might have smartphones, but they don't have, they're not comfortable with the technology of having to video chat um, on their phones or on their computers, or they don't have computers and they don't have smartphones. So then they're using their, their phones, um, to talk over the phone and do their, their sessions. We have a lot of stories from family members of older adults and of adults who are family members of just their spouses who are, are calling um, the clinic and they're calling their therapist to um, ask for more resources and thanking them for being able to provide these resources through the, through the telephone. Um, we have actually this week we got, we have, um, to uh, uh, older adult um, clients who have COVID, who have COVID-19 positive results, and they're in homes with family members up to seven or eight family members. We know that a lot of our Latinos, uh, there's multiple families living in their homes and we have uh, multiple family members and now 
they're having to isolate, stay at home because they're taking care of one of their family members who luckily right now, we, what the results are or what the, the, um, the news is, is that they're recovering from COVID-19. So we're continuously, continuously serving clients, um, serving Latinx community members who have, who either have positive results of COVID-19 or are taking care of their family members who have these um, positive results. And they're, they're really um, taking advantage and benefiting from being able to receive mental health, mental health counseling and case management um, over the phone. A lot of the case management over the phone is being able to provide our Latinx community with the um, knowledge and information of what resources are out there for them. One of the biggest resources that we have found is the COVID relief resource that I sent to, um, I sent that to Nina that we can attach that to our resource list, but the COVID-19 relief fund for undocumented individuals in Washington state. We also have, I know some of these resources are more specific to King County or the areas around King County, but we have uh, been, been able to provide more than 20 clients just in this last couple of weeks with this resource of the of the relief fund um, rent resource cash assistance and also um, uh, other resources like food banks etc the the, yeah. the resources that we provide um, it's 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 major that we're able to provide we see an increase of services this month we've seen an increase of services and we only can predict that the the services are going to to increase as time goes by and as we don't know what the certainty what what it's going to happen next with with covid what we have seen in our latinx community um with the clients that we are that are established and the clients that are coming in um new is a theme of anxiety, um, anxiety over financial issues, anxiety about the uncertainty of what's gonna happen next, um, a depressive issues, unmotivation, um, un, not being interested in, um, in, in their daily activities, like even the, the leisure activities of watching TV and um, things like, uh, like eating as well. We are seeing those themes in our Latinx in our Latinx community among the different sites um, that I've talked with. Um, so more important, more it's more important than ever right now that we are able to provide these services and that we have access, uh, that they have access to care through the telephone and through Zoom or through any video platform that we have um, provided. Um, we have, I have, like I said, I have that information in terms of all the, the contact information that we have for all the CMAR clinics that Nina will be providing. But, the, but the, the number that you, that if there's anybody in South King County or in the Federal Way area, I can give you the number to our clinic. Uh, people are, our individuals are welcome to call our clinics. The majority of our clinics have Spanish speaking um, Spanish-speaking individuals to talk with our Latinx community who are Spanish-speaking monolinguals. And uh, the phone number for Federal Way is 253-681-6640. And if anybody is having any difficulty in contacting any of the clinics, for some reason, our phones right now are, are off the hook right now. We have a phone, phone calls coming in more 
than ever before that we've seen because people are wanting more resources. Um, you people can, anyone in, in South King County or anywhere in the state can give me a call and I can try to do my best to also reach out. We know that a lot of our, our a lot of our Latinx community um, sometimes uh, um, have a lack of, of information, a lack of resources. And so being able to have a phone number where they can get a hold of someone immediately is detrimental and it's, and it's crucial. So my um, work cell number is 253-266-7737. And I'll say it again, 253-266-7737. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you, Rosie. Uh, so I'm gonna uh, pause. I'm not gonna pause for questions for this one. I'm gonna move uh, over to Mary Jo Ibarra from Moses Lake Community Health Center. I'm sorry, I butchered that one earlier, uh, just for the interest of time. So uh, Mary Jo. Great information, Rosie, thank you. Thank you, Rosie. Good afternoon, everyone, and I wanted to thank Nina for inviting me to share what our behavioral health looks like um, in this unprecedented time here at our health center. Um, again, my name is Mary Joey Vega, and I'm an outreach and behavioral health coordinator here at uh, Quincy. We are a satellite of Moses Lake Community Health Center and have a smaller dental and WIC office in our Efreda offices. Um, and we also have a WIC office um, in Warden, Washington. Um, in true pro promotora style fashion, I was going to show you where Quincy was. Um, so if you guys um, who are maybe offline can do this, and maybe those who are on screen can do this, um, I ask people to hold up their left hand towards their face, and then roll down your fingers, and bring your thumb in. And if you see that, that's like the state of Washington. And if you go to the middle of your palm, that is where Quincy's at. We, I tell people we are the belly button of Washington. And the belly button's a sacred place. So I think that's important. Just so you guys know and kind of have a, 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 um, in your head where we live, very small town. Um, so now because, one of, uh, because Washington is one of the largest receiving states of H2A workers in the nation, or, or of contratados, um, we, we do have the majority of those H2A workers in the North Central Corridor. So again, in your hand, it would be right down the middle. So the majority of the H2A workers are living in our area. Um, and our clinic then has a special focus with this population and, and hence the population, you know, I have a great honor of working with them. One, because that is my family background and my husband's background, I see, with a farm worker, which is, I feel honored to do that. Um, now, regarding our behavioral health services, um, currently we do have three staff that are working and only one person in our Moses Lake office who is on site. Um, and she's completing phone and telehealth visits um, and seeing patients in person for those who meet the criteria listed on the pandemic medical scheduling bulletin that was sent out by our, by our CEO. Um, here in our, regarding our Spanish speakers, um, we do continue to use the in-demand bot, it's a robot, um, and we use tele-language tele phone lines, which allow us to make three-way calls with our translator um, and with our patient during phone sessions. Um, we also have, and, and I would say that here in Quincy, it's different. I am the only behavioral health person um, at the site, um, although my 
my main job is to do outreach uh, with, with uh, farm workers in particular. I, could, I can say that COVID has exacerbated every single case I've seen. So every case that I've been seeing and been hearing from um, has been exacerbated by COVID. I think in particular with those families who have family members who have been detained because unfortunately we were all in the county where most of uh, cases of uh, being, people being picked up by ICE at the courthouse have been right next door in Ephrata. Um, I was going to say that what we've also seen in the last two weeks um, has been a concern here of the lack of food and money to pay rent. Um, so people are calling me up just, hey, where can I get $20 to buy food? Who's giving food out? Um, and I think things are just are really tight right now. In particular, we have lots of those folks who did not get a stimulus check, for example. Um, and so they don't have money for even those, those, those um, essential uh, needs that they have. So we've also been sharing the information that I think Rosie talked about with, you know, some of the, some of the things that DSHS can now afford un undocumented workers as well. So I won't get into that. Um, I was going to say that we have in our town in Quincy, we have approximately around 7,000, a little over 7,000 residents, and we can swallow over 13,000 during the during harvest because we get that many workers coming into our area. Um, currently, we are in Quincy, are considered is considered the epicenter for COVID in Eastern Washington, um, and it's really nothing to brag about. But I share this with you so that you uh, you understand where most, why our behavioral health work in Quincy is focused on our migrant seasonal agricultural workers. Um, I, wanna, I was gonna say that during the first week of uh, when COVID really hit us hard, and it, I remember that Monday just hit us really hard. Um, we basically began for the first two weeks um, doing inreach with our own staff and with ourselves and really getting in the clinic ready to receive uh, people who were positive or thought that were positive. And it was, it was super stressful on our staff. Um, and then we started seeing some of our co-workers begin to think that they were ill, so they were also being tested. So we had lots of our staff being tested um, for COVID. And um, I actually spent a couple of days uh, and I thought that that might've been my, my situation. So I've actually lived through that as well. So it was a really great experience for me um, to share that out now with other people who might be going through that. Um, during those first weeks, I contacted um, Maribel de Oca and Seth Doyle at Northwest Primary Care Association and began a conversation with them about how do we get a group of uh, subject matter experts together to talk about the concerns that I had at that time with um, uh, farm workers. And what we did is the group came together. We now have a phone call that we have just like your guys actually I think we started the same week that you guys started um, which is so great you know on this side of the mountains and um, it's called COVID-19 assisting farm workers and, and farm worker families this happens every Tuesday from 3 30 to 5 o'clock um, and now we have individuals from Washington State Oregon California and other parts of the country um, we first hear from promotores and community health workers and um, our farm workers to hear what's going on with their issues. And then we move on and we talk about emerging issues and also have many of our legal partners and other governmental partners who share out during that phone call. And you guys are all welcome to, to join that. Um, it's a bilingual um, meeting. 
and we are no, now using Zoom. And some of us uh, low-tech Aztecs are learning how to use Zoom and, and other things. So we're still in that process of learning. So um, if you have any tech friends out there that can help us, that'd be great. Um, I wanted to say that prevention work for farm workers, um, especially with H-2A workers or contratados, um, you know, it's, I, I think that they're a more vulnerable group only because of the way that they live in farm worker housing or cabinas um, and the way that they're brought in in buses, busfuls of them right next door to each other and how they come into the town to cash checks, dine, and maybe even go dancing when they could at a club. Um, early in March, we started going out and, and visiting um, the cabinas and immediately what we found is people saying, oh no, we're, we're already training people. We, they already have enough information about COVID. And we knew that that was, that was lacking. We, we knew that for sure. Um, some of the organizations won't even let us in the door. They'll have us outside. They can see us. They're talking to us on the phone, but we don't know where they're at inside the campus. So they don't really even wanna to talk to us. Um, and so I think that's really disconcerting and those are issues that we brought up to our local health district, um, to, our, to our bosses and to community members that we want to educate farm workers, but we're not, being do, we're not allowed to do that, I should say. Um, yet that is the concern from the, uh, the affluent uh, community here in Quincy. Um, and there was a one visit in particular that I remember we were almost run over by a truck of the owner. He ran, was like ran into the, where we were talking with a group of guys and he was trying to intimidate us. And the guys, as soon as they saw that the owner got off the truck, they all went inside. They didn't want to talk to us anymore. Um, and during that visit, you know, he was telling us that he was educating the workers, that he was giving them floro to, they could, so they could clean. And he even told us that one of his, one of the gentlemen was sick and he had him in a cabina that was separated. Um, what he what he didn't realize is that we saw that one worker who was supposed to be isolated going back and forth, going into the kitchen where everybody was cooking and eating. He did not have a mask and no one was using social distancing. Um, so we knew we know that these issues, while maybe they have been shared, we don't know if people are taking it seriously or how they if they know how to do that where they live in their living quarters. Um, I think the other thing that we 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 started seeing too was that um, with workers in particular, they started asking us questions like, "If I get sick, who's going to take care of me? Who's going to pay for this? What if I die? What's going to happen to my body? Is my body going to be flown back to Mexico? Am I going to get cremated?" Um, so a lot of these issues, while we think they're so outlandish, it's it's a reality. And those are things that we need to be discussing and talking about. And one of the things we've been asking for, and I've been pushing for to see is how do we do a disclosure statement to workers who are coming into the country so they understand that if they do die, this, you know, they might not have their body be sent back to, to their homeland. So there's so many rules. And I do want to say that we've had great partnership with our legal folks um, that have been on the line doing magnificent work, changing guidelines to rules. Um, um, filing cases on behalf of farm workers. Um, so, I, you know, the phone calls have been really valuable to us and people who are on the, on the front lines 
Um, I want to say that the, lastly, one of the last things we're doing here is that we've been producing a lot of health literacy level um, flyers with our with our farm workers in mind, um, infographs. Um, and so sometimes if we, we're not led into certain places, we'll leave a folder full of information. Um, we're planning to go out and also hit up all the, all the stores where the workers go so that we can catch them there. And the other thing that has been a huge issue is that a lot, a lot of our white affluent community is really concerned about workers not having tapabocas um, or masks. Well, they don't have access to masks. They can't make masks. They don't have maquinas to sew masks. People don't have time to do that. Um, so, you know, we're, we're actually thinking about doing a campaign of doing socks, using socks and masks. There's a really great video about that. Um, we're trying to come up and we know that there is one or two organizations who are doing masks for farm workers. Um, so that's a huge issue for us. And as you guys know, um, I, I wanna say two or three days prior to the outbreak that happened in, in Wenatchee, I had submitted a letter talking about the concerns that I had and what ended up happening. As you guys know, in Wenatchee, they had an outbreak of 34 or 36 workers um, of the 71 people who, who were living in one quarter. So we know that this is going to happen and will continue to happen. So um, you guys think about us and, and, and your prayers and, and the workers and the people who feed us because if, if that population gets sick, our food system will break and we will not have the food that we should have to yeah. eat. So yeah. You've done such a wonderful job. And um, I know we were, we were focusing, focusing really on behavioral health and it's, it's very evident that you guys are doing that and so much more. So thank you for the work that you've done on the ground. I do want to take a moment to share the fact that the Department of Health and LNI are um, uh, working on emergency rules and they're open for uh, comment until Monday. I will be sending you all that information so that you can take a look at what those emergency rules are in terms, uh, it's related to farm worker housing, temporary farm worker housing. It's important that everybody takes a look at it so that you can have some voice there. Um, but Mary Joy, I wanna thank you so much for, for providing um, this information, same to uh, you, Rosie, and to Mario, I think we lost him already. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm sorry, you guys, if you guys could uh, put questions on the sidebar, uh, that would be helpful. We can address those and make sure that we're putting you in contact so that uh, those questions are answered. But we're going to move on to Diana Perez uh, with LULAC. Hey everyone. Uh, just a quick update on a couple of things. One is I'm going to... Um, share my screen with you for those of you who could see it and this is just to show you a brief call to action that we're doing right now as you know the uh, eviction moratorium was extended there were some gaps that were addressed this was based on the call that we had last week and then um, he issued the extension so today what we're at is very simple uh, we have a sample phone script that um, we'll send out to you on google docs and it's just basically asking um, the governor to please freeze rent and mortgage during the pandemic. And then there's an email sample script that you can send as an e-message. And there's a link where you could send that. And there is a bit more uh, specific information, for example, asking the governor to instruct state chartered banks to waive fees, late fees, overdraft, and require mortgage um, waiving the mortgage payments and obviously development of a re relief package 
for folks. So just continuing the pressure um, from an individual standpoint versus an organizational standpoint, I think at this point it's gonna be very strong because your voices need to be heard. I'm trying to get out of this uh, sharing screen now. Um, it's up at the top. If you, um, if you hover okay. over, it'll say stop screen. Okay, and the other, the other call to action is uh, from the Washington Low Income Housing Alliance. Uh, this is at the federal level, and this is our, to request Congress um, for their next stimulus package to include emergency solutions grant funding and a national moratorium on evictions and foreclosures and um, rental assistance as well. So hitting a two-tiered approach here, one for the governor, one at the federal, two different actions. I'll send them to Maria and then we can send them out on the email too. Um, I think that's a quick wrap up for now. Awesome. Thank you, Diana. Um, we're going to move forward to another Diana from the Mexican consulate. Um, I saw her earlier online. I is this. Hola, Diana. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I am Diana Oliveros. I'm Council for Community Outreach at the Consulate of Mexico in Seattle. And, uh, um, well, I just want to let you know, guys, the ways we are working at the consulate. The, there are a lot of questions out there. And well, basically we started taking measures on January 21st, when the first case was confirmed in Washington state, uh, up to the point that when the stay at home order uh, was in place, we closed our offices to the public. But it doesn't mean we stopped working and we stopped providing services. So um, first of all, I want to let you know the services that we are currently offering to the public. Uh, first of all, we have passports and power of attorneys for emergency cases. Um, different to what we do on a regular basis, right now we are taking only people who have a, 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 an, emer an emergency and they, are, they are able to prove it. I mean, by emergency, we, we are taking people who already have uh, flights and they can show their tickets or they have family emergencies and they have to travel and therefore they need uh, either a passport or a power of attorney to make things or processes in Mexico or before other Mexican consulates in the US. Um, the other part of services that we're still providing, it's the protection in legal affairs office, uh, services. And uh, now that uh, they mentioned about people uh, dying and, and they're worried about whether their remains are going back to Mexico, well, that's the part where the consulate has a very important role. Whenever the remains go to Mexico, we need to issue specific documents so that the remains, either the full body or the ashes can go back. So that we're still doing. Uh, in some cases, in cases where there is economic need, we may also step in and provide support to cover uh, expenses for, um, uh, and, and we deal, I mean, uh, whenever someone asks us for that, we have a specific interview to determine to which extent uh, we can support them or we should support them. Um, for the specific cases of people who died uh, because of COVID, or died for any other reason, but they were infected with COVID, um, it's important to let you know that um, the remains that are allowed to go into Mexico are mostly ashes. Most of the states in Mexico, they are not receiving uh, the full body of people who died and were infected with, with COVID. So um, 
we are suggesting uh, or, or trying to raise awareness that uh, it might be impossible to get the remains back to Mexico if they go in, in uh, full body uh, option. Um, but we're, uh, we're offering uh, information about that and support whenever it's needed. The other service that we're supporting, it's uh, economic support for DACA renewals. That's something that we might be able to help as well. And uh, at the detention center in Tacoma, we're also having interviews twice a week. We, we do this on a regular basis. Right now we are moving to telephone interviews because of the situation, but we are doing that. And if people that are detained there want to talk to us, uh, there is a list that they can sign up or their families can also reach out to us and let us know the name of the people that want to talk to us. Uh, in order to have access to any of these services, the way to do it is to call. We have an emergency phone line. It's 206-618-8202. So whenever uh, yourselves or you know someone who, are, uh, who is in need of any of those services, please ask them to call to this number and uh, then uh, we will assess cases uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, the other thing we are doing is that we are trying to compile and share the resources that we think are uh, the most um, useful for our community. Actually, yesterday, some of you might have received uh, an email from me. We are trying to compile a package of infographics, uh, videos, and uh, links with online resources that we have either produced at the consulate or that we have received from the uh, government in Mexico and that we think uh, they might be useful. Um, actually, we had a set of infographics about uh, prevention measures in the agriculture field. We sent them out and, and from labor and industries, they told us they are, they, they think they are very, very useful and they will be using those infographics with adaptations to the guidelines that were published last week. And those are going to be the infographics that, uh, that they will use to, to inform about the, the guidelines. Perfect. I have that email and I can go ahead and send it off with the notes so that everybody can get it. Um, yep. If they have questions, can we also share your email address so that they can be directed to you? Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, if you want to receive this information or if you have any questions, my email address, uh, it's D as in Diana, Oliveros, like Olive, R-O-S, at S-R-E dot G-O-B, B as in book, mx anyway i'm gonna write it down in the chat box and well finally uh, we are also hearing from different actors all around the state and trying to pick up what are the most pressing concerns so far well it's of course the, the, the farm workers that we have been trying to uh, pay attention to what's happening all around the state the outbreaks that we have been detecting and, and that you most of you all uh, are very aware of. We're also very concerned about the situation in prisons. We have been following the case of uh, Monroe and the outbreak there. And well, uh, also most of the concerns that we have been uh, that we have been hearing about is the economic struggle that our people is facing and will continue facing the coming uh, coming days, months, etc. So I will write down uh, the emergency number and my email address in case you need to, to, to make further questions or if you want to receive the, the information that we are sending out. And well, thank you very much for the, for the space and to be able to talk to you about what we're doing.
Yeah, thank you, Diana, um, for reminding us. I know that that was a last, a very brief conversation at the end of last meeting. Um, Montserrat with Wisen, hello. Hi, um, great, thank you so much for having me again. I'm gonna be putting in my contact information and I have four quick updates. Uh, the first one is around the economic relief efforts uh, that we are demanding a Governor Inslee to act upon. Um, over 430 organizations and groups across the state are urging Governor Inslee to uh, enact a worker relief funds of $100 million uh, as, a, as a temporary solution for immigrant uh, workers. In addition, we're urging the state legislature to enact a permanent solution of an unemployment insurance-like program, uh, which we know it's possible um, and our policy team is working on the, um, the technicality of how that program would function. And so um, we have uh, sent a letter to Governor Inslee as of Monday um, and we're, uh, our timeline for this campaign is that by May 1st, hopefully he's able to answer back to us. Uh, and if not like any campaign, we will start escalating by sharing you know, community stories and et cetera. Um, and so I'm really grateful for Latino Civic Alliance for sharing that letter and getting us a very diverse uh, supportive co uh, coalition. We have folks from uh, economic institutes, uh, businesses, um, uh, lawyer associations, et cetera. And so I'm really grateful for that. The second thing I wanted to share is that right now we have launched a campaign to, as of today, along with the uh, University of Washington Center for Human Rights and the ACLU of Washington to demand Cowlitz County to release three of their immigrant youth who are detained at their juvenile detention center. The county um, has been in contract with ICE for profit to detain immigrant youth from across the nation and in Washington state who are deemed somewhat um, you know, criminals in their opinion, but really it's oftentimes the crime is that they are here in this country undocumented. And so we're asking for the county commissioners to release the last three remaining immigrant youth who are detained in Cowlitz County um, they have already released all U.S. citizen children from that uh, detention center. And so we're just asking them to do the right thing and release everyone there. And so we've launched a, a, um, a writing letter campaign that we hope uh, folks on this call can help share and spread. So we're able to release folks from that uh, detention center. Uh, the other update that I wanted to share is that, as you all know, DACA is on life uh, support right now. Um, it will be uh, decided on the Supreme Court any day now. Literally every Monday and Thursday, immigrant youth wake up with the fear that uh, DACA might be terminated. Um, and we know that there's three potential rulings that might happen. One, that the Supreme Court, Supreme Court will rule that DACA is unconstitutional, which will prohibit any future executive order programs that uh, grant relief for undocumented folks. The second ruling could be that uh, the Supreme Court decides that they're not gonna decide anything on it, essentially that President Trump has a power and authority to terminate the, uh, the program. And then the most optimistic um, ruling can be that, that DACA stands strong and that immigrant youth can continue organizing and fighting without the fear of deportation. Regardless of what decision is, immigrant youth know that DACA is a, a blueprint of deportation defense strategies that immigrant youth launch over the years. And we will continue to do deportation defense across the nation to ensure that no one gets detained. We also do know that ICE has already has access to the information of immigrant youth who apply for DACA, which the uh, President Trump had promised he wouldn't share that information to ICE, but now we know that he broke that promise. Um, and so the fear of deportation is real for DACA recipients if that program was to be terminated. Um, the last thing I wanna share is uh, regarding the statewide COVID-9 relief fund for undocumented folks in Washington state. We're uh, on, the, on the timeline of potentially uh, um, fundraising over a million dollars by next week. 
uh, to support immigrant communities, especially in Central and Eastern Washington, where we know usually uh, resources are, are not available. And so uh, thank you, Mary J. Uh, Mary Jo, for uh, sharing you know, the application. We receive a lot of folks, our family from Grand County. We're hopeful that we're able to support them. Uh, we, over 160 families have already been awarded, uh, but we have over 10,000 applications of people seeking financial relief. Uh, the people who are set for priority to be awarded these funds are people who are high risk, um, people who are essential workers who are essentially being symptomatic or exposed. So essentially this one is really a place that when we tell our communities you know, to act on their health, uh, and sometimes they come back and tell us, well, how am I supposed to act if I won't have a, a roof over our heads? While this is not a, a permanent solution, um, this is a, a temporary solution to be able to, to give the tools for our communities. And I'll just pass it over to Diana to share a little bit of the partnership with Southwest and some upcoming efforts. And Diana, our time is counting. <laughs> okay, sure, thank you very much. Um, so real quickly, uh, Washington Luleka, specifically Southwest Washington Coalition partnered with uh, Washington Immigrant Solidarity Network to raise some funds. So we were able to add $150,000 to the pot specifically for counties in Southwest Washington, which is Pacific, Lakaikum, Calit, Skamania, Clark, um, there is a lot of families, a lot of isolated populations out here with no resources. So just in like, uh, we had over 7,000 applications. We've been able to award over uh, 150 families who are in need, um, who are high risk, no job, uh, possibly experiencing homelessness, single parent fleeing domestic violence on uh, needing to get their insulin because of chronic health conditions. So we continue to raise funds because we did not meet the, the backlog of the needs. Um, they are vetted and we do work with them um, individually. A lot of distrust if we are connected to the government. So that's why um, specifically with the data that was shared from DOL, I think people are scared of that. So that's why this economic relief from uh, nonprofit organizations that are not connected to the government are more critical at this point because of the trust out in the community. So uh, continue to spread that uh, donation to to beef up the funds there to help our, our familias because May rent is coming and so are the bills. Thank, Thank you. you, Diana. Thank you. Uh, everybody, we've got six minutes left and I feel like this always happens with me. So <laughs> apologies. Uh, regional report outs. Uh, let's start with the Yakima County areas. Does anybody have anything to share? I'm going to keep it to about yeah, a minute. This is this is this is Gabriel. Thank you so much, Maria and Nina, for for getting this together. I know I got a little bit of time. Um, so one of the things that Latino Civic Alliance uh, did this week, we we sent out a letter of declaration to uh, to a lot of different media sources and to the governor uh, because one of the things that we want is to really make sure that not only um, our community is safe and protected, but we also want our farm workers to be protected. And we want the whole community, including well, especially the farmers, uh, the owners of these farms to really take this um, very seriously. But we also want the state of Washington and the governor to really have a good plan in place. And so what we're doing is creating this, um, this unity amongst different organizations and agencies to work together collaboratively to make sure that we have the right plan in place to make sure that we have the 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 protection that farm workers uh, deserve because without them 
literally will go hungry. And so I'm inviting anybody here today to be a part of this effort uh, across the state of Washington. My phone number is 509-830-5351. My email is gabriel at Latino Civic Alliance. Again, my phone number is 509-830-5351. And my email is gabriel at latinocivicalliance.org. And I want to invite everybody here tonight or today on this call to be a part of this effort. We could all do a little bit together and it's going to have a huge impact on making sure that our farm workers, our Latino farm workers are taken care of. And not just Latinos, but everybody it's, uh, generally in, in, in the farm working community. So thank you so much, everybody. And that was it. If you guys have any questions, you guys have my phone number. Awesome. Thank you, Gabriel. I uh, put your phone number down in the chat box along with your email address. So everybody should have access to it. Um, let's move on to the Grant County, uh, Douglas, Chelan surrounding areas. Anybody else have anything to say? Maria? Yes. Oh, can I just add one more thing oh, um, for the Yakima area? Um, we have a coalition of folks um, as well that want to be able to support uh, the folks calling the Wizen hotline. And so there's been a flooding of calls from folks asking for uh, various resources that you guys have all gotten report uh, updates on. Uh, but there's also folks asking about what they can do about their work site conditions. And so um, we are trying to support the demands that many are also um, urging the governor to support um, and many of those things are predominantly impacting rural communities um, as we know our community is the majority in the agricultural industry um, and so if um, you guys are interested and wanted to join uh, we really want to invite folks to join the Tuesday calls at three o'clock um, this is uh, has a lot of people actually even on this call included on there, um, but we essentially want to be able to connect people to the resources that are calling uh, from around the state to the Wizen hotline that's been promoted for a long time now. Um, and so no one has the need to re replicate efforts or reinvent the wheel. Um, and we're, we're meeting and convening on a weekly basis. Um, and I don't know if anybody else from the Yakima area wants to jump on this, but there's like six or seven of us organizers from different organizations. Um, you know, Gabriel touched on it right now. I just wanted to keep giving folks a little bit more details. I appreciate Gabe plugging this in, um, but we really want folks to join us. Um, and I wanted to share as well um, that Nuestra Casa en la Casa Hogar, um, as mentioned here by a reporter in Yakima, um, is also providing funds uh, to people directly in the amounts of like 250 to $500 per family and you don't, there's like, it's low barrier access. So people don't have to um, have citizenship status or even if you qualify for unemployment or are still working, you can still um, ask La Casa Hogar or Nuestra Casa for those resources. So they understand that people are either, you know, may have lost their, their partner's income or perhaps, um, you know, they, the kids are, you know, at home and they have more expenses and things like that. So there is no barriers. Just um, try to get folks to um, um, ask for the resources um, and they are uh, obviously going to be, you know, bilingual speaking in Spanish. So I just wanted to plug what's going on in Yakima because something that we can't avoid at all in our community, pretty much 
if you're Latino in Yakima, you know somebody is going through it and people are yeah. going through this hardship for us, for everyone. That's wonderful. Thank you. I just um, wanted to piggyback also on Dulce. Thank you for sharing that information. Um, Latino Community Fund is also one of those organizations involved in this. So if there's anybody else who would like to be involved, please either send myself an email or Dulce an email. My email is uh, Christina at latinocommunityfund.org so that we can share uh, meetings with you guys and you guys can join in these efforts. Great, thank you. Thank you. Um, everybody, we're at the one o'clock hour and unfortunately both Nina and I have to be uh, on another call. So thank you again for your support and your continuous um, participation. We will convene again uh, next Thursday at noon. Everyone, I just want to say it's Nina. I want to thank everyone. I know that today was a lot of information and every week it, it, it fluctuates because we get a lot of contact. We get contact a lot about they want us, that people want to share information. I hope this is helpful. One of the biggest things we want is as we all come together and work together on uh, supporting our communities is that, you know, if you find this call useful, please invite others to join us. If you have recommendations, please don't hesitate to contact Maria or myself about ideas you have to expand uh, the, to span what we're doing in this call. And um, next week, we thought that mental health and healthcare was very important. So we wanted to broaden how the voices we brought today. So we hope that was helpful in the Mexican Council and Watson. But we do think that for the, you know, it is very important to get updates from all of you in the community. Apologize we didn't have enough time, but for uh, next week and the weeks coming, we're really, last week we had about 30 minutes allocated but we promise we'll, we'll try to continue that work because all of you have great ideas. What I heard from what's going on in Yakima today, what's happening in Quincy. So just, uh, so thank you everyone. We'll leave more space. Thank yeah. you. Thank you.